Um, we've been uh, spending some time, as you know, in this, this term on Philippians. I think a lot have I've had some uh, great feedback from people um, just about how helpful they found it. Uh, it's been very practical. I think that uh, challenge that we have the whole way through about joy, choosing joy uh, in all our circumstances, choosing to know Christ above all things, choosing to walk the, the path of being like a servant like Jesus who emptied himself and became like us. The secret of contentment the last two weeks. The challenge, isn't it, of living that out. Whether I'm in need or in plenty, I know that I am content. And it's fascinating, the, the, the verse which um, uh, I was going to be looking at, but I'm referring back to this passage in the Old Testament. It's obviously that verse that everybody knows and everybody quotes, which is in Philippians 4.13, which you all know. I can do all things through, th- through Christ who gives me strength or through him who gives me strength. Suddenly I woke you up. Philippians 4.13, we love to use it, you know. And it's often been uh, used in a variety of ways. Probably the most misquoted verse in the Bible. People pluck it out. Um, most of the sports people that I love will have it sort of engraved, either tattooed on them in some way or on a wristband or on uh, their, their training shoes. And, you know, I remember a few years ago, Evander Holyfield. Do you remember Evander Holyfield, one of the boxing greats? And Evander Holyfield on his, uh, emblazoned on the back of his uh, robe as he came in, you know, like they do coming in. Da-da-da. Coming in, had Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Particularly when he was fighting against Mike Tyson. I'm Mike Tyson. And he came in. Tyson who thought nobody could possibly defeat him. And he beats him. Of course that was great that verse. Until he faced Lennox Lewis in the next fight. And got knocked over by him. You know. And it's fine you see. It's easily to misquote. And to pull out a verse like that. But of course. Those, if you remember, who did the Bible course a year or so ago, if you remember one thing, a phrase there, which is context is everything. Because it says there on the Bible course, it says, a verse uh, without a context is a con. Okay? And um, the context, of course, of I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength is out of the previous verses where Paul has basically said, I've learned to live contentedly. I've learned in spite of my circumstances, in the midst of my circumstances. I've learned those things. And because of that, it's not that life is going to be rosy and fantastic, but I've learned within that that Christ is enough. That actually he is the one that can give me strength. It's not that I will get permanent victory in my life, which is so often how it's been misquoted and misused. And... um, I don't know, uh, this week's been an interesting one. I mean, quite often when you're in the midst of preaching or planning for stuff, the very thing that um, you're you're likely to speak on, I feel that God is calling you to speak on, you're challenged on, aren't you? Well, I am, anyway, I find that. Um, And I really felt the, 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 the thing that God has, if you like, put on my heart to share this service. I'm sharing something different a little bit later. But that verse... um, in that verse where it says, uh, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And you see, very often, isn't it, we see the things around us. 
Our days are spent thinking about the things around us. Maybe our health. Maybe in relation to our uh, finances. Maybe in relation to relationships. Stuff of life. Just getting through life. That list that you've got to get through. And yet, the calling of that is, I can do all things through him. I think that God is saying to us, is our focus enough on him? And do we understand who he is? And that's why I wanted to speak on that passage in Isaiah. Very well-known passage for many people. But maybe for some of you, you're thinking, it's a bit strange. But if you like, it's Isaiah, like a number of people in the, in the Bible we read about. Uh, all the way through, pop up from time to time where they get a vision of heaven. People like Ezekiel, people like Isaiah, and of course in Revelation as well. You come across these passages which seems really strange, but it's like, like the curtain is pulled back and we see a little insight into heaven. And every single one is consistent. And what consistently heaven will be about, it will be the most holy place that we could ever experience. I don't know whether you've ever experienced. It only happens a few times in our life. But sometimes we go into a place. And there's such a sense of holiness. I don't think we've ever felt that. It's like the air is really thin. With the things of God. Sometimes it might be. Sometimes people find it going into churches. Personally for me I don't. You know, I feel quite distant. Even when I go into a cathedral. It might be beautiful or whatever. I just find I... But you know, it's often it's been in intimate times when I've just been with a few other people. And it's been like there's been the thinness as if God is in the house. God is in that place. And usually it's the thing that's most real within it is there's a sense of God's presence that is beautiful and wonderful and holy. And here we see in this passage, if you've got it in front of you, it's, in, uh, it's on page uh, 691. But I'm going to just go through a few of the verses here in Isaiah 6. And firstly, and it's th- the three things I want to draw out. One is perspective. And then three positions that we're called to be. One is perspective. Now we read a passage like this. And we haven't got a clue what it means at the beginning. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah? Well, we're in the week that Boris died, aren't we? Although he won't go yet. Hasta la vista, baby. But the fact is, is, it was a moment in history. When King Uzziah died, it wasn't just a throwaway line. It was a moment in history. And I believe that at the moment, we are in a moment in history, aren't we? It's like everything, someone's described as like the tectonic plates of everything is coming together. Whether it's nations and what they feel about one another. uh, Whether it's war, whether it's poverty. All those things are like connecting, aren't they? The pandemic obviously brought it into into mind and it's still going on and continuing in other forms. Uh, And there's a sort of fear and an anxiety and a confusion all around us in different ways. And when King Uzziah died, it was something similar to that. So the context was it was something going on in the, in the context, going on in the, in the surrounding uh, physical experience, perspective. It was a moment. The kingdom was divided. There were two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah to the south. And it was the year that basically when King Uzziah died, things shifted 
the Assyrians invaded and they captured huge swathes of land, ultimately laid siege to Jerusalem. And it began in the year that King Uzziah died. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I think there are moments that we are in when we need to hear this message. And here he's saying in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year when we're re- sort of recovering but we're not, in the year when we're, we're trying to work out what we want to be, in the year where there's turmoil and discord and death and devastation all around us, in the year that there is, I saw the Lord. Where does your shift go? No, I, I saw everything that was going on around us. I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. And what was it about the Lord there? The Lord was high and exalted, seated on a throne. First perspective is this. We go to the throne room. He goes to the throne room. Where do we go when there's perspective, when we lose perspective in our life? We go to God. We go into the throne room. Because you know what? I want to say that when God is sitting on his throne, he is not panicking. He's not sitting there biting his nails. He's not sitting there wiping his brow. Oh, I just hope things work out okay. Oh, Boris is gone. Maybe it'll be someone else. We don't know which one it will be. He's not sitting there worried about that. His perspective is holy and mighty and glorious. And that is where we're called to go. We're called to go into that place when we're struggling. What he's saying is we go into his presence. I would encourage you, if you are in a place of anxiety or fear or sadness, where do you go? Go into his presence. Just get some time with him. This week I lost perspective on something, on one particular thing. And, and actually I was just losing focus. I was losing what I felt about a particular person. And I felt God say, just spend a bit of time with me. And when I found time with him, I got fresh perspective. And actually an action of what I need to do. That I recognized within myself that actually I needed. That actually I was walking in unholiness in relation to this particular person, particular situation. And it grieves the heart of God. Because, of course, he is completely holy and we are sinful. He comes into this presence and Isaiah recognizes that he sees perspective. He sees the train of his robe filling the temple. He sees the glory of God, holy, holy, holy. If we knew the immensity of that, it would change our lives. But what we want to do is we want to see God as our little guru. That from time to time we pull out our little... um, What's a guru's going? Sorry, um, genies. A little lamp. We've got to be honest about this. Very often as Christians, we see Jesus as our genie. Just another form of another thing. Life isn't very nice. Let's just rub the lamp and ping, you have three things that I will do for you. We cannot do that with a holy God. The mystery of God so a, a well-known leader this week lost his wife in her 60s to cancer. And he stated, my, 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 I, yeah, I'm absolutely devastated. But I don't feel my question is to ask God why. Because ultimately, he is my father. And I trust that. Now, it's a challenge to do, but he's chosen. 
to trust in the living God. Now, not everybody is the same. He's grieving his heart out. He's, he's hurting. He's in tears. But ultimately, he says, you are the holy God, the mighty one. I trust you. Isaiah does that. He comes in. He says, he recognizes. And that's the perspective he finds. And yet, in the midst of it, in his presence, what does he do? And these are the three positions as he's in his presence. And I want to encourage you to look at these three positions that we need to have in relation to God. And it's challenged me. It's challenging me on a personal level. Because I think there is something about the physical. If we're going to actually connect with God, I don't know about you, but you can't just sit there and go, hello, God. I actually realized that quite often through the Bible, there's a physical connection with how we feel about God. It talks, in the, it talks in the Bible about, for example, in worship, that actually it is a good thing to raise holy hands. Now, some might think it's just something invented in the 60s as some sort of charismatic whoop-up. That actually it's in the Bible. Now, it's not for everybody who say, oh, it's not for me or whatever. I want to say it's in the Bible. The positioning of ourselves, sometimes it says, Lord God. You know, I'm watching Portsmouth Football Club and they actually win a game. I'm going, you are great. Come on. When I'm with God, I say, you are great. Come on. You are holy. So there's three positions, really, though, that are this. One is face down. It says here, above him were seraphim, each with six wings. I don't understand what seraphim were. I don't know what they looked like, but they sound decidedly weird. With two wings, they covered their faces with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. Six. <laughs> Seems strange. But they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. There's a sense there in verses 4 and 5 that we just read there. Woe unto me, I'm ruined. And it, and, it, and it says elsewhere, but it says there's the word face down. And that's the first position. I think God is calling us to fall face down before him. Nehemiah, when he goes into Jerusalem, after this, and the siege of Jerusalem has happened, and uh, his first prayer is a most remarkable prayer. He doesn't say, look at all those guys. Look what they've done to the place. You know, Look what all the previous people did. They've caused all this trouble. What he says is, we have caused this, Lord God. He falls face down, it says, and he worships God. I think God is calling us as church at the moment to fall face down and acknowledge his holiness and his mind. We can do that in the quietness of our own room. So first position is to be face down. Secondly, it's hearts open. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isn't that a bit freaky? The idea of this six-winged thing taking a coal and touching my lips. That would hurt. But there's a sense there of your hearts open. So face down, hearts open. 
There's the purification of what goes on there to bring healing. And I think that's where, again, God is calling the church to a place of purity. And that call to purity is so at odds with the world around us. With everything that's going on that seems in many ways to drift, drifting into impurity. And I think he's calling the church to be a radical, obedient, countercultural place. And we're called to be with hearts open. Which means sometimes we're going to share stuff that will not be popular. But his hearts are open because we're saying, you are the one that can clean me out. You are the one, as Peter says, where else can I go? You are the one who gives eternal life. You are the one that can clean me out. So we go into his presence. Firstly, we fall face down. Secondly, our hearts are open. And thirdly, our hands are up. Not directly here in worship, but it says here, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Hands up. And what he's calling us into, my son has just come back from a conference called Awakening Europe. And it's amazing, there's been uh, 15,000 people, uh, mainly young people, in uh, Rotterdam. It's called Awakening Europe. And they all come from all over Europe with a heart to see Europe come back to Jesus. Interestingly enough, he said there are hardly any English people there. But nearly all of Europe coming together. And within it, they made a radical call for young people to be set apart, focused on Jesus. And then they, every afternoon they go out to Rotterdam and they meet people and they invite them back. The first night they invite back a whole lot of people. Thousands of people became Christians. Europe is open. The UK, I believe, is open. But he's asking for a holy people to say, hands up. Where are you? Here I am. Send me. Here I am. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. It's not just site services. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. But here I am. Send me. I'll be obedient to what you've been called to do. Three positions. Face down. Face down before before God. Have face down. Hearts open. And hands up. Father God, I thank you so much for this reminder. We live in a broken place. It feels more broken than it's ever been. And however much people seem to try and resolve it, even the technology in all the world, it cannot deal with the problem of the human heart, which is the heart of the human problem. We know that only you can do that. You holy God, we love you. We worship you. We honor you. We bless you. We praise you. For some of us here, we are facing a whole load of different things. We need you. Holy God, come. Come on this place. Come into our hearts. Here I am. Send me, Lord God. Lord Jesus. We come to you, our Father. We 
You come to you with the world's issues all around us. Ukraine that seems to just have drifted out of the news, just like that. The torment, the devastation in that land. The poverty of those that are not getting enough food, not getting enough grain to make bread. The continuing issues to do with the pandemic and COVID across the world and other diseases popping out. We see the fallenness, the brokenness of our world. And even in our own island, there's confusion, lack of leadership, lack of integrity. And we look around and we say, where do we go? And the only place we can go is you. And we lift our prayers to you. We pray, Lord, for this community of Barnet. We pray for a revelation of you on Barnet. Thank you, Lord, that we can be part of transforming people's lives one life at a time. We hand to you this summer. Lord, I pray this be a time not just of sitting back, but a time when we see people's lives touched for you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities we have as a church through things like Food Bank and Renew and CAP and the Open Door Centre to engage with people and love them and walk with them. We pray that over this summer period when we do a few less things, particularly with Open Door being uh, closed for this period of time, we pray, Lord, that we would actually find other ways to connect with friends and to share about Jesus. And we do pray for each person here. Pray for those that have lost loved ones, that they would know your calm, comforting love. The peace that passes all understanding. And for those that are coping with pain or anguish or anxiety, would you be their rock and their strength? Thank you, Father, for your goodness. And that you hear our prayers in your name. Amen.